Nescapados, it's Nescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, with a few pit stops along the way. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them, and that is pretty much all you need to know. Party on, Emmy Zero. Party on, Steampunk Link. And scene. <laughs> we are... We're done with that. Yeah. We got some games for you today. This is second to last group of games from April 1993 we've got. And uh, as you may have figured out, we got some movie games. Oh, we got Wayne's World, we got The Terminator, and we've got toys, and everything is awful. Unfortunately, yeah. This is a week that will show you, if nothing else has, why licensed games have the reputation they do. Because, yikes, these fit that definition to a T. They are low-effort, grim, miserable games. I can't put it any other way. I'm sorry, folks. Trying not to, to lead things too much here. A couple of caveats. One, making games is hard. Two, we really don't like just being the, uh, oh, hey, this is bad. This is so bad. I'm going to hurl. Right. <laughs> In the interest of trying to not be just complete downers here. I will start off by trying to say a few good things about these. So I think that if I were to have my own games magazine, let's say, where I were reviewing games, the three things I would concentrate on more than anything else are probably like production, how pretty the game is and how well it sounds and all that stuff. Functionality, just you know, how well does it play? Uh, is, is it free of that jank, as we like to say here in the in the biz, the games biz? And these games, all three of these games, are okay in those two categories. I would say all these games are, are serviceable in the production category and are fine in the function category. Like, these games aren't as janky as some other games. Some other games that we have, in fact, liked more than these. But that third thing is just, how well is the game designed? And that is where these completely fall apart. We're going to talk a little bit more about it uh, in a bit, but uh, there was a David Cage interview from 1994 that I read. Nope. Not David Cage. That's a different guy who who made some bad games. <laughs> that is a very new... David Crane is the guy. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. Yes, um, uh, there was an interview with David Crane from 1994 that I read up uh, to do a little research for this. And they started out the interview by saying that they actually thought Toys was a pretty good game. And, you know, like from a purely programming perspective... Yeah, it's fine. It works. I I push up on the D-pad and the character moves up, which is what I would expect. We will talk more about it in just a bit, actually. But yeah, Toys is a game that is, is like you said, perfectly functional, but has a, a real lack of ideas in it, which I think is one of the, the unifying things about all three of these games for today. Uh, and yeah, I think you're right. Honestly, we don't know the amount of time uh, and and resources the people making these games were given to make them. So this is not really saying anything about the skills of the people who made these games. Like the, they are all functional. None of them exhibit much in the way of like slowdown or or unresponsive controls. You know, they all, like you said, they work. But just what they chose to do with this sort of functional uh, framework for making a game is. Uh, something we'll have to talk about. So, um, I guess why don't we go ahead and just get into it. Let's, uh, let's talk about some toys. 
Yeah, let's talk about some toys. So I guess, um, first thing, we ought to talk maybe a little bit about the movie, though I know very little about this movie. I never have seen it. Uh, Toys is a movie I saw back when it originally came out, and I would say like most people who saw this movie when it came out, uh, I didn't like it very much. It was marketed as a kid's movie. I guess technically it is, but it is as a very kind of strange, sort of kind of unsettlingly surreal tone to it. Uh, it was kind of a, a passion project for its director, Barry Levinson. He had directed a bunch of other movies at this point, but Toys, some version of Toys was was originally going to be like the first movie he, he ever wanted to make. And obviously, given how specific some of the things in the movie are to like the early 90s, some of the plans for that had changed by this point. But it's probably the fact that he had directed some very successful movies like Good Morning Vietnam and Rain Man at this point that he got carte blanche to make this thing that he wanted to and presumably this is the thing he wanted to make, but I, I don't find it a fun movie to watch. I want to try and see how well I've got the plot of this movie just based on, like, the instruction manual in the game. Go for it. Tell me. Robin Williams' character, whose name is Leslie, I believe? Yes, that's right. Leslie is the son of the owner of this toy company, and he is getting ready to sort of pass on the business, but thinks that Leslie is too childish to run a toy store because, you know, that would be a real horrible trait to have in somebody running a toy store would be mm-hmm. childishness. So instead, he passes it on to I'm wanting to say his brother. Yes, not not Leslie's brother, his own brother. Yes, Leslie's uncle, who is a weird dictator for some reason. I don't know why an, a weird army dictator is is his brother and living in the United States. That's like, is he like a refugee from some weird war-torn country or something? Like, that part I do not get. He's a general. He's not a dictator. He's like an army general or like a retired army general or something. Oh, fr- from the United States Army? Yes, that's correct. He does not look like that in the game, but that is that is what he is supposed to be. That is both surprising and also should not surprise me even a little bit. Basically, Leslie now has to wrest the company from his evil dictator uncle, uh, along with the help of his cousin. I think who also does not, I guess, does not like his dad because, again, weird, creepy general who is fascist, I guess. In the the movie, the general's son starts out on the general's side as like the, the head of security for the toy company. But he finds out that like his dad like lied about like the way his mother died and it causes him to like not trust him and defect to the Robin Williams character's side. Also, that character is played by LL Cool J. What? That takes us up to basically where the events of the game happen. So pretty much, yeah. Big thing in the movie is that the general is secretly using the toy company to develop like what are essentially drones. Like they didn't call them that at the time because there wasn't really a thing that existed, but like small unmanned war machines that he can then like sell to the American military. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, and he is actually having children come in and play, like, arcade games that are secretly them controlling the drone things uh, without their knowledge. It's one of those things that they, they did back then, thinking, like, oh, wouldn't it be a weird, horrible world in which 
kids just basically sat down to play video games, but were in fact actually murdering people overseas. And now that's pretty much a thing. I, I'm just going to go scream into a pillow for about five uh-huh. hours. Yeah, yeah, you, you go ahead and, and take. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. The thing that Barry Levinson has said about this is that, you know, he the the point he was trying to make is that like watching like footage of like Operation Desert Storm on TV looked exactly like a video game to him. Uh, And that like essentially he felt like the way that war was being sold to people was just as an entertainment product and that to him like there was no difference in the way that like that stuff was being presented and the way that like arcade games were you know were showing up in, at that point didn't i literally open up a pack of desert storm trading cards on this show once yeah i mean this is literally a thing we have talked about so he's not wrong about this but he certainly did not think that the the whole like drone thing that's in the movie is these like cute little you know toy planes and tanks and stuff uh was was actually going to uh kind of be a, a real thing eventually <laughs> so yeah but it's it's really weird uh that that's sort of like the crux of the you know the villain's plot in the movie uh and basically yeah uh you know robin williams and his his friends including his love interest and also his sister who turns out to be a robot that was made by his father to keep him company and also the uh ll cool j army cousin guy uh all have to sort of take down his evil uncle and and stop him from being uh able to do do all of this stuff with the the toys yep and that takes us to uh toys but before we talk about the game we've we've already talked a while about this one i I did want to talk a little bit about the david crane interview uh that i found online a few days ago so uh so this game was made by absolute entertainment who i believe we've probably talked a little bit about because this company was founded by uh like gary kitchen and I, i believe his brother and david crane you know we talked about all those folks um might remember gary kitchen from games such as gary kitchen super battle tank you'll probably remember david crane from such games as david crane's amazing tennis so i'm going to do kind of one more deep ish dive into all this but anyway so the interview that i found was uh from a 1994 CES Consumer Electronics Show, kind of the precursor to E3, by Chris Bainick. I don't actually know how to pronounce his last name. I am sorry, Chris, wherever you are. From Video Games Magazine. And uh, he was just speaking with David Crane, who had just finished up this game uh, at the time. It was, you know, maybe a few months uh, removed from it at that point. Uh, this interview, weirdly enough, never actually ran in the magazine Chris was working for. Um, his boss decided not to run it, which is kind of a shame because there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. But back then, people weren't as interested in video game history. I mean, I guess we're not great about documenting the current stuff now either. So <laughs> the more things change, right? Anyway, you can find this interview up on video game ephemera. Dot com. Really good interview. If you're if you're into this kind of stuff, uh, I would highly recommend giving it a read. It's a lot of fun. As we've talked about before, David Crane was the founder of Activision in 1979, which is often regarded as the first third party video game developer. But before that, he worked at Atari. And before he worked at Atari, he actually submitted a pair of games to Atari called Howitzer and Outlaw. Both of those ended up getting released through the Atari Program Exchange, which was a branch of the company that would publish games made by hobbyists. Uh, those, I think one of them ended up on the Atari 800. And after he became an employee at Atari, a version of Outlaw got released 
released on the Atari 2600. But he also designed games like uh, Slot Machine, the Dual Cart uh, Canyon Bomber Depth Charge. And uh, in the interview, he says he left the company to form Activision after that. And he also talks a little bit about the philosophy behind Activision at the time. So here's a direct quote from Crane himself. At the time, there were big hardware companies that had a bunch of nobodies in the back room writing software. We had it pointed out to us through sales figures that there were four of us at Atari accounting for 60% of their sales. We said, look, this kind of indicates that there is some skill to doing this. We bring something to the party, and yet you treat us like we're cogs. So we were looking for recognition, you know, authorship, that sort of thing, which is why Activision was founded on those principles. The designers were credited in the games, and that had never happened before. That was Crane's philosophy for Activision, a philosophy I'm sure they still share to this day, you know, that they, they're they just really uh, pro-worker over there at Activision and not exploitative at all. Definitely interested in, in allowing their uh, their employees to be creative and do their own thing, not treating them like, like cogs at all. Bobby Kotick is a f- hole. And uh, that's all I have to say about Bobby Kotick. Anyway, uh, getting back to Crane, um, it isn't clear why he and and the Kitchen Brothers, Dan and Gary, left Activision in 1986, but they did just that to form Absolute Entertainment. Fun fact from the interview, Crane actually denies that the naming conventions of the companies were attempts by each one to come first alphabetically. According to Crane, that was just a coincidence, even though um, both the interviewer and I have heard from a lot of people or have read in a lot of places that companies like Accolade and Absolute totally did do that on purpose in in crane's defense you know if he wasn't the one who actually named the company he may not have he just might not have known that Uh, in any case um absolute made a number of games for almost uh, a decade that they were in existence along with their own in-house development studio imagineering which they absorbed into the absolute brand completely in 1992 Uh, it was under the absolute label that crane made amazing tennis and uh, kitchen made super battle tank oh yeah you know something I, i forgot to mention here in the interview though a lot of you listen to this already probably know uh, david crane is the guy who made pitfall by the way yes that is true and he talks a lot about the making of pitfall in that interview like you know what it took to do that you know what it took to pull that off on the atari 2600 which again really interesting stuff um pitfall is a really pivotal important game in the history of video games so a few other interesting things from there that i i just wanted to point out uh, at some point during his time at absolute crane took a break to work with hasbro on a vhs based game system that they were working on called Nemo. It was supposed to be called the Nemo, and then it ended up being called the Control Vision, and then it never ended up coming out. But several games, uh, including Night Trap, were originally produced for that, and then just sort of sat on the shelf for years until another medium that was more like actually suited which was like this the cd-rom came out yeah so uh, aside from crane and kitchen's personal projects absolute released a lot of games throughout its run uh, a lot of which are based on licenses like uh one we're talking about today um some of the licenses that they made games about include the simpsons rocky and bullwinkle home improvement <laughs> we'll get there uh space ace star trek and ren and stimpy Again, we'll we'll get there. By 1995, though, things were going south for Absolute, and in a February 1996 article in GamePro, the magazine wrote, 
quote, Absolute Entertainment, makers of Turn and Bird and Battle Tank, suspended operations and laid off most of its staff last fall. Sources say that Absolute's last batch of games for 1995, including Penn & Teller's Smoke and Mirrors for Sega CD and 3DO and Battletech Grey Death Legion for the Saturn, are indefinitely on hold as the company determines its future course. Uh, so Smoke and Mirrors is a really interesting one there. And again, I, I guess, you know, that's more of that FMV stuff, right? God, that is such a strange game. Uh, if you don't know it, folks, uh, you may know one part of it, the uh, the game Desert Bus, which has become kind of a, a internet famous thing in the last however many years from being played on charity streams. It's like kind of a weird anti-game. It's It's sort of like a collection of small games and like, Takeshi's challenge style jokes being played on the player. It's actually really fascinating uh, and kind of a shame it never came out because it, it was a really sort of odd and unusual project. Yeah, Smoke and Mirrors never got officially released, but uh, a version of it did leak in 2005. I, I don't know how complete that version is. Yeah, so as for Crane and the Kitchens, uh, moved on to another company by the time that Absolute was going under. They named that company Skyworks Technologies, which would later be renamed Skyworks Interactive. I'm not sure what they're up to these days. I don't think Skyworks has a working website anymore. At least I couldn't find one. So I'm not sure if that company's even still around or, or what they're up to, but... I'm sure they are doing fine. One would hope, yes. So, with all that out of the way, it is time to talk about this game. Let's talk about toys. As its full title, I would say, Toys Let the Toy War Begin. If you're familiar with the game Zombies Ate My Neighbors, um, the game kind of has a similar perspective to that. It's sort of a a faux-isometric, top-down view in which you can move the character up, down, left, and right, and they stay more or less in the center of the screen. But this game has a big problem when you compare it to something like Zombies Ate My Neighbors. The level is very big and spread out. The sprites are also quite big, you know, maybe too big for their own good. But, you know, Zombies Ate My Neighbors, there's a lot happening in those levels, so there's always, you know, like aspects of the maze that, you know, you can kind of see and like, OK, that's a this is something I can use as sort of a guidepost. Like, OK, I recognize that. So I know where I am. You don't get anything like that in this game. Does this game even have a map screen or anything like that? Um, No, I don't. I don't think it does. No. Uh, it, but yeah, these levels are large. And because you're so zoomed in on uh, the Robin Williams character who you're controlling, uh, it's very hard to see much of anything that's not, you know, just directly right around him. Which is a shame because your character moves at roughly the same speed as all of the enemy units that are at least in that first level. Once you're on the screen with them, if one of them decides it's going to start following you, you can't really get away from it until you're far enough away that you know, it kind of reverses course or whatever. So the objective in, in at least this first level, I imagine in the first three levels. It's it's the same for, for everything except for the last level, yeah. Yeah, so you have these enemy toys, which take the shape of, in, at least in this first level, uh, walking bombs and tanks, like little toy tanks. And you have to disable all of the toy tanks that are surrounding cameras so that you can disable the cameras. Now, there are... Tanks that are just kind of driving around and there are tanks that are stationary and shooting at you. 
Uh, you cannot damage the tanks that are shooting at you until you take out all the tanks that are swarming around it for a particular camera. Each camera basically has a set number of defenders that you have to take out before you can damage the camera, I guess. Yeah, you get all sorts of weapons off conveyor belts, and all of them are bad. There's bowling balls. There's little toy ducks that that walk around and kind of home in on things. There's uh, a peanut gun that kind of fires in an arc. And uh, they're all bad. None of them seem to work very well, and it is incredibly hard to hit enemies with anything. Yeah, again, since like the enemies move as fast as you do, it's really hard to position yourself in a place where you can safely attack anything. And again, you know, these levels are mostly very barren so that, you know, there's, there's not a lot of geography around that you can sort of use to, to protect yourself, to, to hide from enemies and wait for an opportunity to attack. You're kind of just left out in the open and you only have, you know, a, a life bar that can take five hits before a hole opens up under his feet and he falls through it, which is weird. Is that a thing in the movie? I think that there is something like that in the movie. There's a lot of weird kind of, almost fantasy elements in the movie uh, with like how the toy factory is like constructed kind of like Willy Wonka-ish stuff. Yeah, um, these levels are sprawling and barren and pretty much the gameplay does not change at any point during during this the, these first few levels. Uh, it is the same objective, uh, accomplished in the same way with different enemies that are all functionally pretty similar. Uh, once you are actually able to go up to a camera and destroy it, you do have to play a little mini game where it zooms in on the camera's face, which looks like a creepy toy elephant, and you have to shoot it with water. That's that's ma that's basically like four fifths of this game. The last level of this is something different. the The last level involves you, uh, your character, uh, basically using like a, a toy plane, like a big hang glider thing, to fly through this uh, this this side scrolling level. Uh, in order to get to, like, the control room of the toy factory. And uh, obviously, it kind of goes without saying at this point, neither of us got to this level. But uh, it is long, and it does require you to continually kind of swoop down to these sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, health bays, like these sort of, sort of like pit areas at the bottom of, of the screen to re-energize your, your plane. Yeah, that's the only thing in this game that's different from the, the overhead shooting levels. To me, this game feels like, like, a, like an early-ish arcade game. Like, it feels like an arcade game from, like, the early 80s, you know? Where there's pretty much nothing changing about this except for kind of the the types of enemies and the the level of aggression they have and like i think this honestly would have felt pretty thin even if it was an arcade game like this feels like the kind of game where like if i had figured out how to play it well enough to progress in it eventually i would have just walked away from the machine before my my time with it is up because i would have gotten bored well i mean honestly this this does feel like something that could have come out on the Atari, except it would have been better suited to that because they probably would have had to scale down the action to fit on one screen. And maybe that's part of the problem was that like Crane's game design philosophy just wasn't evolving with the way that the technology around it was. And yeah, it's, it's a very simple game, which I mean, you know, it, it would be fine if it was just more fun to play. That's really what it comes down to. It's not fun to play. 
it's in, it's it's incredibly frustrating. And also another thing that will be a common thread among all of these games, uh, no checkpoints. I think all the enemies respawn after you lose a life. That is rough. That is real rough. Did you defeat any of the cameras? No, I did not. Uh, I killed a couple of enemies, but I didn't manage to actually do the sequence of events you need to to be able to bring down any of the cameras yeah i managed to get through like the first line of defense on one of the cameras and then the stationary shooting tanks start chasing you and shooting at you which is really hard to avoid because like when the tanks shoot at you it's basically like some doom like hit scan yeah (laughs) bs that's happening like you just take damage there's no projectile to avoid couldn't do anything about that and then you know once they killed me off uh, i would respawn and then the first line of tanks would still you know would, would come back so I couldn't even make any progress just by sacrificing lives to, to, to make headway. Really frustrating, not terribly creative, not very fun, and, and very unforgiving game. Um, I, I, I don't think I've got much more to say about it, do you? Nope, I do not. Uh, so let's go to the list and uh, look for a place for this one. Really, we, we've probably talked more about this game than anyone ever has. and well, Probably more than it deserves. That's probably true. Uh, so what do you think? What do you think about Kablooey? Is that low? No, no. I, I think this is a great place to start. I'm just trying to decide if I think it goes above or below that. I think Kablooey has like a better conceit. I think it's still poorly designed, but I think like the, the puzzle that it's trying to be like is a smart one if it was implemented better. Yeah, I agree with that. So, yeah, I think this probably goes below it. Um I'd probably just put it below Romance of the Three Kingdoms 2. If somebody likes that kind of game, this is probably fine for them, I would imagine. But I already know there's an infinitely better way of doing what this game is doing. Right, it's called Zombies Ate My Neighbors, yeah. So the one below that is Zardion, and I think that I would say I'd probably want to play Zardion over Toys, uh, just because Zardion at least had, like fun, you know, world building, and it had less monotonous gameplay than this. What if we drop down to, say, like, Home Alone 2 at 158? Because I actually think I would put this below Skulljagger at, at 157. Skulljagger, if nothing else, is just so bizarre and, like, a weird side-scrolling pirate game with bubblegum power-ups that, like, you know what? Yeah, I'll play that again, but I won't play toys again. I agree there. So, Home Alone 2 is is an interesting one. Uh, I think that Home Alone 2 is another game where I didn't make it out of the first level. You know, I would say I think Home Alone 2 may have been a lower effort game than this in some ways. They're not very good, either of them. They're, they're both pretty rough games. I think Home Alone 2 is maybe slightly more successful at what it's trying to do, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Like, I, I just realized we've got David Crane's Amazing Tennis all the way down at 162. Like, are we going to put this game above David Crane's Amazing Tennis? Like, is, is this the honestly the better David Crane game on the SNES? I mean, it might be. I didn't like that tennis game very much. It was so simple that it was basically Pong, but on a Super Nintendo. This feels kind of similar. Like, this this is almost like Robotron or something, but on a Super Nintendo. But worse, because they're trying to scale it up so much, and it, it just doesn't work. That jacket, though. That jacket. That's a good jacket. I mean, that's that's something you can say for David Crane's Amazing Tennis, even if you can't say anything else for it. Uh, I think this is probably a better game than Super WrestleMania, but that's a very low bar to clear. I'm looking down at... Bill Lane Beer's Combat Basketball at 166. I'm getting real low down there. Yeah, this is now we're in like bottom 10 territory now. Yeah. Bill Lane Beer's Combat Basketball, 
really bad. Also, another game that's that's kind of vacuous in in the sense that like there's not much going on. It's 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 very barren. You can play two players in that game. That's true. But I mean, you know what? I would probably be more likely to complete a round of Bill Lambert's Combat Basketball than I would be to to see uh, toys through to the end of a level. I think I'm more likely to finish a game of Bill Lambert's Combat Basketball than I am to complete level one of toys. I, I'll, yeah. If, if for nothing, if for no other reason than it's a basketball game. It will end at some point. It will end of its own accord. Hmm. Maybe Wings 2 Ace as high as the floor. Yeah. Like, like, Toys has a little bit of a weirdness factor going on for it. Other than the fact that it is technically a functional game, that's the only thing it's got going for it. You know, like, I, I would say, like, we're not in, like, completely unfunctional games until we get to something like Ultraman. So I would say, like, this game definitely goes above Ultraman. I think Wings 2 Ace is high, like, whatever the gameplay is in there, I just don't care so let's let's do that then. Let's put this above Wings Two Aces High, uh, and make it our new number one sixty seven. Oh boy! There you go. Toys. Um, worst movie than Hook, I'm sure, and a far worse game. Far worse game. This is this is on the low end of the Robin Williams Super Nintendo game uh, pantheon. I think. Do we have anything that's going to go lower than that today? That's a good question. I guess we'll find out. So why don't we move on to Wayne's World? Sure. Let's move on to Wayne's World. Let's talk about this hot mess. Yeah. So, all right. Wayne's World. This is also... uh, Okay. So I was going to say this is based on a movie, but it's actually kind of not. This is... It's really strange, and I almost respect this in a way. Like, it is just a Wayne's World game in which they do interstitials where they advertise for the movie that is coming out. But it is a advertisement for the movie, but it is not an adaptation of it. At least I don't think it's supposed to be. It is based on it in the sense that the locations in the game are vaguely supposed to be reminiscent of the of of areas from the movie. Oh, okay, okay. But there's also this really strange conceit where this game is supposed to be like Wayne and Garth have been sucked into a video game and they are also telling you about their exp- their adventure having been sucked into a video game while playing at the arcade that is referenced in the movie. The movie Wayne's World, which I, I, I assume a lot of people have seen this movie. It was very popular when I was a kid. Wayne and Garth are these two kind of loser, you know, rock music fans who have a public access TV show. They're like metalheads, right? They're metalheads, yeah. They get scooped up by a network to put their show on actual TV because there's this dude that runs an arcade who wants to advertise to the kids more directly. You know, they figure, you know, let's let's get something that the kids like. Apparently, everybody likes this goofy TV show. And adventures, uh, wackiness ensues. Uh, and, I, you know, honestly, I think it's still a fun movie. Uh, I think it, it definitely is the best of all of those Saturday Night Live movies from the, the early 90s, for sure. It's pretty much the reason why those exist, honestly. With the exception of maybe the Blues Brothers, this might be the best it might be the only good one yeah what what, what else is there like come on like night at the roxbury there's night at the roxbury there's the coneheads <laughs> there's it's pat and uh stewart saves his family which are both 
terrible, awful movies. Oh, oh, The Ladies' Man. There's the McGruber movie. Oh, I've heard that one's good. I've heard people like that. I have not seen that one, so I don't know. Yeah, as far as it goes, uh, this one, you know, was sort of a surprise hit and uh, a big a big boost for Mike Myers' career, for sure. They, of course, made video games based on it. This is one of them. And it is... Uh, yeah, it is kind of based on the movie and also kind of a weird ad for the movie. It's trying a lot of stuff. I don't think much of it really works. So so let's start with the presentation of this game. I, I think that, like, the level layout... I mean, well, I mean, level design is a different thing, but, like, the way the levels look, it's kind of a mess. It just feels like it just they just threw everything in there. You know, uh, the the Wayne sprite is really weird. Like, Wayne and Garth are these sprites that have, like, the big, like, photo... They're like bobbleheads, almost. Like, they're giant photographs of Wayne and Garth's, Garth's heads. On little cartoon bodies. Yeah, it, it's real, real strange. It's off-putting. Yeah. And then, like, the enemies are, like, these weird cartoony things that just don't really mesh well with the visual style that they're going for with Wayne and Garth themselves getting to the level design. Like, it, yeah, these levels are just ridiculous mazes that have a lot of vertical elements to them, but Wayne can only fire directly to his left or right. So he's not well equipped to handle things that are above or below him, even though you should have the ability to do that because you're going to have to go up there. But you got to take care of the enemy first because it's just kind of flying around in a random pattern. Stupid kazoo. Wayne does not feel as bad to control as some of the platform game characters we've had on the Super Nintendo so far. But actually moving him through these levels is miserable. You're also constantly assaulted by sound clips in this game. Uh, there's a lot of digitized audio, so it sounds like somebody's just sort of randomly jamming online. Like a Wayne's World soundboard. Hey, did you like the part in Wayne's World where he says, Excellent, because he's going to say that a lot in this video game. Yeah, or the part where he goes, Schwing, <laughs> because that's, you're going to get that too, for sure. Uh, oh boy. Yeah, uh, it's just a miserable game to play, honestly. I do like that they adapted the, I want to have sex with that catchphrase into a screen clearing attack. <laughs> this video yeah game. that's great isn't it that's really good yeah oh, this game is just such a mess but i mean you are right that like wayne controls fine and you know really like if this were a purely side-scrolling mostly horizontal affair you could probably make a fine game out of this but just all of the jumping up passages that you have to do even though you can't attack above or below you it just you know again like the scale is just it, everything is big, so you can only see so much of what's happening, even though these levels are, are almost labyrinthian. It, it is um, it is really obnoxious. And there is just obstacles constantly all over the place that, that cause you to take damage. Like there's like electricity between yeah. a bunch of the stereo speakers for some reason that, that's just sitting there and you can't do anything about that. You can't attack that. And yeah, much like toys, this doesn't really change much from level to level. The, the backgrounds change, the obstacles change, but mostly this is 
what what you get at five minutes into the game is what you get at like an hour into the game. Yeah, like the, the, the first world, you're jumping on drums that are trampolines because you're in a music store. The second world, you're shrunk down for some reason in a coffee shop. And now the little creamers are your trampolines. Like that's just how like copy pasta everything is. Yeah. If you start this game up and you don't like it, then it's not going to get better, basically. So there is a part uh, in one of the interstitials where they've got a 16-bit rendition of Bohemian Rhapsody, so that's kind of neat. There was definitely some effort put into the presentation here. Unfortunately, that ultimately just ended up making the game more obnoxious in some ways, but I do kind of like those interstitial sequences with, like, digitized images of the Wayne's World characters and kind of you know, some some actual jokes, sort of, I guess. I, I think the kids these days would call it cringe. I think a lot of the humor in this is pretty cringe. I mean, even while I do think that, like, the humor of a lot of old Wayne's World stuff would probably still be funny today, the, the stuff that they use in the games is not. And it all feels very watered down for a property that was already, like, not really all that edgy, to be honest. I will say this. I don't think my friend's parents or my parents ever had a, a problem with us watching Wayne's World when we were like, you know, nine years old or whatever. I think it, it definitely captured a, a moment in in a certain subset of pop culture at a certain time that I think resonated with a lot of kids back in the day. This video game does a pretty poor job of, of bringing it to life. And even if they did bring it to life, like you'd have to survive the game long enough to get there. And I don't know how much you're actually going to see of it. No, no. So uh, we didn't really mention this at the top, but this was made by Grey Matter, which we have talked about before. They are responsible for some uh, other not that great games on the Super Nintendo. So uh, huge, huge surprise, really, that they would be responsible for this one, too. I don't know. Do you have have anything else you want to say about it this video game is less fun than the wayne's world dice game that's rough but you're right and yes that was a thing we i, I owned a copy of that at one point i wasn't even a big wayne's world fan you've said you you haven't actually seen this movie right yeah, no i i have not okay do we think this one is better than i i think this game is better than toys i think it's better than toys yeah i think that's true i think that probably we should look at home alone 2 again as a point of comparison because i i think they're fairly similar in some ways i think this is more obnoxious it, it is more obnoxious yeah yeah it's probably a little higher effort than home alone 2 but it's it's pretty obnoxious though here's the thing i think that if Wayne's World goes above Home Alone 2, it is probably just by the merits of Wayne's World being overall a better thing than Home Alone 2 is specifically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. What What do you... I think that just on the basis of, like, them having clearly put some effort into, like, the interstitial sections, and even though I don't like them, all the voice clips and everything, probably mean that there's a little bit more personality to this game than Home Alone 2 had. Uh, and I think they're they're probably drawing about even on how, like, unfun they are to play. Yeah. I, I think I'd probably give this one the edge over Home Alone 2. Yeah, I think so, too. But I, I think that 
that might be as high as it goes. I'm not sure if I would put it above Skulljagger no. at 157. I think Skulljagger's doing more than this and doing what it's doing a little better at the very least. Yeah, I think Skulljagger is is trying. Again, I think this is a game that is more janky, Wayne's World is, but there's just more creativity there. Wayne, Wayne's World is relying entirely on the brand. If this didn't have the brand, what would this even be? Yeah, this game would not exist without the branding. And yeah, Skulljagger, hey, they were trying to create a brand out of that. So they were really trying something. They were trying real hard. It did not work out for them, but they were trying very, very hard to make this something. And I kind of respect that. So I think maybe just based on that respect alone, maybe this goes right below Skulljagger. Yeah. Okay. Uh, This is now our new 158 uh, 158 and 168 just added to the list. Wow. All right. Wow. Really filling out this this bottom section here. Hey, uh, uh, here's a question for you, just to really prolong this show today. Um, yeah, sure. What is an SNL recurring bit that you think should have gotten a movie? Um, I think that Goth Talk probably should have gotten a movie. Oh, that's that's a good one. They did several of those sketches. They never really ran it into the ground. It was something that I think had enough life to it that you probably could have done something a little bit, honestly, a little bit like Wayne's World with it. And it it could have been good. Yeah. What about you? I would go with Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. Oh, yes, that would have been that would have been good. I, I could definitely see how you could expand the lore there. For sure. I think it's just a shame we never got really like a proper like Phil Hartman starring comedy movie in the 90s they almost made a uh, a troy mcclure live action movie with him oh that would have been so good that would have been really good uh what's the last thing that we have to talk about today uh the terminator got to talk oh. about the terminator today why there's a game based on the terminator the first terminator movie in 1993 but hey here we are yeah that was a weird thing to me too because i was like that movie came out like like in the 80s right yeah there there will be a game based on terminator 2 also this year (laughs) they thought they needed the backstory i guess i i I don't know i i guess like people don't know what the freaking terminator is like i don't know uh this game also made by gray matter so uh yeah gray matter and mindscape i think winning combination there though i will say unironically i think this is the best one of the trio i I mean i think that's true i think that that's it's definitely the best game we are playing today there's not really a ton to say about this game it is based on the terminator you do play as the, the hero character in that movie kyle reese not the terminator who was a bad guy in that movie. You start out in the future shooting Terminators. You travel back in time to 1980s Los Angeles where you shoot not Terminators. You shoot, just like in in, uh, Outlander, you shoot a lot of guys that look like Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Then eventually you run away from the Terminator and that's that's the game. Yeah, so this game, you know, again, functions fine. Um... Kyle Reese has an okay move set. He can run, he can jump, he can um, shoot his gun. He can shoot his gun at a 45 degree angle to the uh, uh, to the right and left, though he can't shoot down or straight up for some reason, which does mean that like there's you're, you're like often in the first level, you're given a choice to kind of like 
stay on the ground or go up. And since you can't aim down, the, but the enemies can aim up, there's never a reason to do that except to get power-ups after you have cleared out the level. This is a functional game, just like Wayne's World, functional game. Better level design, I would say, than Wayne's World because it's not a bunch of mazes. But it is. it does also have its own very bad problems with level design. So, I mean, you know, to, to go back to the problem with Wayne's World, because Kyle Reese can shoot up, this game would work OK. It would work better than Wayne's World did if it were a vertical maze. That's true. And yeah, the levels in this are very long as well. They're, you know, comp comprised of lengthy sequences that don't really each level does at least look different but within the levels there's not really much variety yeah the first level for example has a, a long sequence of you kind of uh going through the the future ruins shooting terminators and then there is actually a short driving sequence where you're on the back of a truck uh shooting a turret gun and then, uh, you know, another another on foot sequence, which includes some bigger enemies, some kind of boss type things. Yeah. Yeah. But then, like, even after you beat that boss, you still have more to do. There's still more level after that. And if you die, you will get checkpointed before you beat that boss. Yeah, that sucks. That's terrible. Kyle can take some hits, not a ton, but uh, unfortunately, there's no continues in this game. So if you do die, if you do get a game over, it's all the way back to the beginning of the game. This is not a fun enough game to make that okay. My first playthrough of this, I just found myself having to get, need to like traverse the level at a snail's pace, like just like tapping right on the D-pad while holding down the fire button, just to make sure that like I could hit any enemies that appear on screen before they hit me because like the minute an enemy is on screen they just start firing at you and there's not a whole lot you can do about it other than just kind of holding down the fire button um once you get the rapid fire power up you, you can kind of go a little bit quicker there's enemies that are shooting down at you that you know you pretty much have to be right in their line of fire to be able to aim up and fire back at them uh there are some flying things that are kind of hard to hit, especially in the last part. So this is another weird thing about that first level. After you beat the boss, the level suddenly becomes a ratchet scroller where you can't scroll the screen back to the left. Why does that happen? That's so weird. Uh, yeah, that, that might just be like a programming flaw right there because they have to freeze the screen for that boss encounter. And I'm thinking maybe like they just did something there from that point forward. That's like, yeah, the screen doesn't scroll left anymore. Uh, but that was a problem for me at first for because that was what I was kind of doing to fight the airborne enemies because I had to get it just the right angle to to get them. But I didn't want to go forward and possibly spawn more enemies on the screen that I <laughs> couldn't deal with at the time. So I, I made it through the first level. The second level is even worse because there's uh, th now there is a little bit of verticality to the level, which is fine. Except that at one point I'm on a ladder and I have to jump from that ladder to another ladder. I cannot see the ladder that I need to jump to. It is off screen and there is a bottomless pit below me. So if I don't make that jump, I just die and have to start the level over. I think that was the point where I was just totally like, nope, I am done. This this game's bad and I am done with it. There's I, I can't redeem it. That's unforgivable to me. I, I cannot put up with that kind of thing. The people making it technically knew how to program a game, but they had no sense of 
how to actually make levels flow or have like fair challenges in them or or anything like there was no real kind of understanding of what like good level design is so we end up with this and it it is hard and unforgiving and just not fun or interesting enough to to make up for that it's too bad because this is this is almost an okay game it's close it's just so like that first level is so unforgiving and then the second level just the design is just is bad but yeah it is close to being a, a perfectly serviceable fun game i think another problem this game has though is that like even if it were a better game it's still pretty just you know, run to the right and shoot things. It's, you know, I think I've used all of the complexity of a tiger handheld, you know, to describe some games. And this one is pretty close <laughs> yeah. to that territory. You know, it's like, oh, there's a guy in front of you, shoot him. There's a guy above you, shoot him at a 45 degree angle. There's a weird right. exploding Terminator hand on the ground, use a grenade, you know, and that's pretty much it. This game does play better than RoboCop 3. Oh, way better. But it, it does have almost the same level of, like, vapid game design in it. I don't have much to say about this one, you know, the it, it looks okay, but it's not terribly impressive. The music is kind of is is very quiet in this game, like strangely quiet. And there's a lot of weird unsettling sound effects in the first level that are playing over the soundtrack, which I actually think is like, it works for the atmosphere of what that first level is trying to go for because it's trying to, it's the bad future. It's the horrible, you know, war torn landscape of just like dead bodies and blown up buildings and everything. Yeah, and I think I remember, I want to say, I think I read somewhere that somebody who had some relationship to this game, either, you know, worked on it or, or interviewed someone who did, said that they were trying to give everybody a sense of, like, what that bad future is like, because we only catch glimpses of it in the movies, or, you know, at least at that time, we'd only caught glimpses of it in the movies. Yeah. I think that's that's a novel idea of trying to take something from the movies and, and give the players, give the fans a little bit more of a, of a taste of that that we didn't really see in the movies. But yeah, the gameplay is, is pretty lackluster at, at, at its best, and the, the design of the game is not very good. And I'd almost say it's it's just another run and gun shooter but it's it's almost not good enough to be just another you know what i'm saying yeah i don't really have anything else to say so uh i guess let's uh jump on over to the list and uh terminate this one so one thing i was kind of thinking that'd be kind of funny we, you know we just put toys at number 168 uh, on the list we put wayne's world at 158 so you're like you know if those two both move down they'll be at you know 150 or 169 and 160 uh, one, 59 respectively so thinking like oh maybe this will be our new 149 um which would put it between roger clemens mvb baseball and gary kitchen super battle tank which i'd almost be okay with but then i saw you know like we've got chuck rock at 144 i think this is a better game than chuck rock but what do you think i agree i did not really enjoy chuck rock very much and i thought all of its wonky physics puzzles were really annoying i'd probably take this game sort of like you know, bad shooter action over whatever Chuck Rock was doing. And then above that, we've got Captain Novalin, which apparently my autocorrect has changed to Novocaine. <laughs> I just realized this one's tougher because like that game is wonky as heck. You know, I think I, w I think I would put the Terminator above Captain Novalin. Yeah, I think I would, too. 
you know, if you if you pressed me on it, I I think I'd rather. I mean, Captain Novelin, not really much of a game, but what is there is is extremely basic. And yeah, I do think that the Terminator is at least a little more fun than that. So uh, it can go up from there. Uh, I would actually say I might like this game better than the Combat Tribes, which we played a few weeks ago. I think if we were going to do that, I would also put it above Wordtris at 140. I think I could do that without much hesitation. What do you think is the ceiling for this one? I think Bart's Nightmare is the ceiling for this one. I think at least Bart's Nightmare is really making a meal of using that license that it's got uh, in a way that this is not really doing. And, you know, there are at least bits of Bart's Nightmare that I find more fun than this. I think maybe... I would put this right below Bart's Nightmare. I don't think I would put Shanghai 2 Dragon's Eye above it. Nah, there's just not really much there uh, with Shanghai 2. So, yeah, I could I could do that. Uh, what do you say we make uh, The Terminator our new number 138 game? Sounds good to me. Okay, so congratulations, The Terminator. You are our new 138, and so you've elevated yourself uh, far above... <laughs> The rest of the garbage on uh, yeah. today's schedule. Still not not a terribly great showing, but, you know, high art compared to the other two. You know, in this in this kind of company, yeah. Yeah, Toys is now, by a pretty good margin, our lowest 1993 game, I think, there. Lowest two 1993 games this week. That's impressive, really. Yeah, right at the end of our bottom ten. It is, it is uh, just barely there. <laughs> Congratulations, Bill Lane Beer's combat basketball for the first time you are not in our bottom 10 congrats bill uh all it all it took was a a really mediocre game based on a razzie nominated awful movie to uh to 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 pull you to pull you out of that there this has been a shockingly long episode <laughs> for for what uh, what we've had to discuss here, but I feel good about it. Uh, I think we gave these games their due, and yeah, I think that honestly, you know, regardless of what games were coming next week, they would inevitably look better than what we've got here. But we actually do have some pretty exciting stuff coming up to as we as we wrap up April. Uh, what have we got, Steampunk Link? Yeah, so as we wrap up the month of April, we've got Tom and Jerry by High Tech Expressions, which um, I'm not... Okay, that's probably not going to be amazing. But then we've also got The Lost Vikings. That one's going to be great. I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah, and uh, that's going to wrap up April of 1993. So after that, we will be going into a new month. We will be talking about the May issue of Nintendo Power after... The next episode, so, you know, hey, two episodes where I've got something I am really looking forward to talking about. That's fun. That'll be good. That I'm very, I'm very excited for those. So please look forward to that. We hope you enjoyed our trip to the movies this week. And uh, we hope that you come back next time as we talk about a game that I'm pretty dang confident we are going to enjoy. Until next time, I uh, hope you hope you're enjoying this lovely, this lovely spring weather wherever you are. And uh, I'm Emmy Zero. I'm Steampunk Link. Play it loud.
Our intro outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty free at technoaxe.com. That's T E K N O A X E.com. Jokes that are referencing commercials are always like the best idea because they're so long lived, right? <laughs> they're going to age great. Every, yeah. Everyone five years later is definitely going to remember what you're referencing, but like yeah. they pull up to a limo or something and they, they ask some fancy looking guy, do you have any gray poupon? And then they, they show that clip by clip. I mean, you know, stills that are, you know, in a 16 bit JPEG or bitmap or whatever version of the actual image from the movie. And the subtitle under it asks, do you have any mustard? And it's like, wait. They couldn't even get the Grey Poupon name, apparently. I'm pretty sure you can just use names like that. Like, you're just referencing it. You're not saying anything about it or putting a logo on screen or anything. Like, it, I don't think they knew you could just do that. And I mean, you know what? I'm not a lawyer. Maybe you can't actually just do that. And, and capitalism is even worse than I thought. I don't know. But no, I feel like it's fair use to to just use the words. Like, I feel very confident that I can say Grey Poupon on this podcast and not be sued. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what I think of Grey Poupon. Actually, you know, you know Grey Poupon, it's fine. It's decent deli mustard. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, it's fine. You could do you could do worse than Grey Poupon. That's the new slogan. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Do you have any Grey Poupon? Why, well, I suppose you could do worse. <laughs> <laughs>